Thank you for joining me for this teaching from Pennington AG Church. We are walking through the gospel according to Mark, and we are spending these three weeks, and this is the final of these three weeks, walking through the introduction of Mark and being introduced to who Jesus is in the story of Mark as King Jesus, someone with authority, a little bit mysterious, but with power and teaching and confronting evil forces. And then we'll be switching gears and doing five weeks through Jesus' walk towards the cross and his resurrection. Today is our last week of the introduction as we get a feel for the character of who Jesus was and is in the gospel story of Mark. Today we'll be diving into Mark chapter 3. and We're going to be looking at uh, another somewhat infamous story in Jesus and at the end tackling one of the most controversial verses in the New Testament. We're going to look today at control, spiritual forces, and what sins are unforgivable. Let's look at Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 30. One time, Jesus entered a house, and the crowds began to gather again. Soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. We see a theme of Jesus gathering in these homes in Capernaum. He's still in Capernaum in the north part of Israel. And we see now as the crowds are gathering and he's becoming more and more famous, it's chaotic. So much so that in Jesus' ministry, he and his disciples can't even eat. They're hungry because the ministry keeps happening. When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. But the teachers of religious law who had arrived from Jerusalem said, He's possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. That's where he gets the power to cast out demons. So, is Jesus looking at his family who think he's insane? Or looking at his fellow religious leaders who think he's possessed by a demon? Jesus called them over and he responded with an illustration. How can Satan cast out Satan? A kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. Similarly, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is divided and fights against himself, how can he stand? He would never survive. Let me illustrate this further. Who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger, someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. I tell you the truth, all sin and blasphemy can be forgiven but anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. This is a sin with eternal consequences. He told them this because they were saying he's possessed by an evil spirit. We see here consistent theme and character of Jesus in the story of Mark. We see him with authority, preaching with authority. We see him a man of action with power, casting demons out and healing. We see him being confrontational again as he is King Jesus, teaching us and leading into his kingdom. We see people frightened by that. We see people pushing back against that. And we also see the consistent theme of Jesus growing more and more famous throughout Israel. There are several themes in this passage that I believe are really relevant to us today. First, the authority of Jesus challenges our control. When the authority of Jesus challenges our control over our life or over how we view life or even power structures themselves, we have a choice. We can either die to ourselves and die to Christ and allow him to have authority over our lives or we fight. This is what we see here. Secondly, Jesus' kingdom is both heaven and earth. It is both spiritual 
and physical. And we see Jesus in this moment with authority on earth and authority in the spiritual forces of heaven. Three and final, Jesus defines who is forgiven and who is not. Jesus defines who receives grace and who doesn't. Jesus defines who receives forgiveness of their sins and who doesn't. It's the character of Jesus that reveals to us how forgiveness is received. And now let's walk through these one at a time. First, let's talk about the authority of Jesus and how it challenges our control. We see this in verses 21 and 22. When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. They literally tried to like kidnap him or have him arrested. That's the language here used is of arresting. They tried to arrest Jesus, his family, and they came and go, why are you all listening to him? He's, he's not even eating anymore. He's, he's unwell. Jesus, come back home. Someone help us bring him back home so we can get him help. He's clearly lost his mind. But the teachers of religious law who had arrived from Jerusalem said, he's possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. They said, no, family, I know you love this Jesus. I know you care about this guy a lot and you have sympathy on his insanity, but it's worse than that. It's not that Jesus is insane. It's that Jesus is evil. And this we'll see as a theme building in how Jesus responds. Jesus' authority and sanity is challenged. The story of Jesus' family confronting him is actual evidence of what biblical scholars would say, evidence by embarrassment, which shows us that Mark is writing a historical account of Jesus' life. While he is also telling a spiritual story, he's also telling a theological story, he's telling a cultural story, he is writing history. And the reason we know this are little moments like this. Because if this was just theological or simply hypothetical, you wouldn't include an embarrassing story about Jesus' own family thinking he's insane. Mary, who is treated with such reverence and respect in the Gospel of Luke and Matthew, you wouldn't see her in Mark questioning Jesus' authority and sanity. Mark includes this because this is a true story and this is how it happened. And Mark is telling us the story of the king of the universe coming into the world and it's messy. There is a theme in Mark chapter 3 that those who you would expect to be on Jesus' side are now uncomfortable by him and are questioning him. His very family and other religious leaders. You would think his family and other religious people in Jerusalem would love what Jesus is doing. In the church today, 2,000 years later, this is how we see it. Jesus is the defender of family and Jesus is the defender of those religious people, us that sing and read his scriptures. But in the moment, and maybe this does speak to us on a deeper level, Jesus confronts these structures and makes them uncomfortable. It's a power struggle with the authority of Jesus, even for his family. And the fact that only in the third chapter of Mark's story about Jesus' life, do we see the Pharisees begin to plan his murder. In only the third chapter, that shows how uncomfortable we are in the world when Jesus' authority questions our control. It shows how fragile we are when somebody tells us we're wrong and something we've built is built wrong. When someone confronts the sin of our own hearts and the religious structures we build, we fight against losing control. And this is why we often want Jesus as savior and not Jesus as king. 
And this is why Mark lays it out from the very beginning that Jesus isn't just savior and didn't just friend, he is king. Because a savior works for me. Jesus does work for me. He forgives my sins. He dies in my place. He makes atonement between the Father and myself. He works for me. But Jesus as king demands my allegiance to work for him. He says, you will get beautiful gifts from being a part of my kingdom and being under my authority and my loving rule, but I demand your allegiance and that you work with my mission to redeem and love this world. I don't work for you. You work for me. Jesus doesn't work for us. We serve his kingdom. And the gospel parallels of this, which is the other biblical stories of Jesus' life, this passage and this idea is present in all four of them. In Matthew and in Luke, in Matthew 12, 22 through 29, in Luke 11, 14 through 22, the story is almost identical, with one exception being this story follows a moment of Jesus casting a demon out of a mute man, and then everything happens. In John, we have just one moment in John 10, 20, where they say about him, he has a demon and is raving mad, which shows us that this aspect of the world misunderstanding Jesus, this aspect of Jesus demanding authority and receiving pushback for this is a main theme of Jesus' life. It's a main theme of his relationship in my life as he has demanded more and more authority and allegiance and control over Brian, over my decisions, my marriage, my job, my life, my finances, my emotions, my physicality, my heart. I would love to say every single moment I've been like, yes, Jesus, take this and I'm going to give it to you. Or I've proactively come to him and said, I lay this down. But no, most of the time is Jesus confronting me and me acting like a child until I see and receive his loving grace. Can we remain open to the authority of Jesus? How do we listen when challenged? What is that like in your life? When someone challenges and says that you're wrong, how do you respond to that? When you read the scriptures and they grate against your feeling of how the world should be, how do you respond to that? When you sit in silence and God confronts you of things that you've held dear, that you know are wrong, how do you respond to that? How do we respond in ready confession and repentance? And are we men and women of confession and repentance? Do I readily submit myself to the authority of Jesus? We see here it becomes violently and murderously opposed very quickly. Secondly, we see that Jesus' kingdom is both heaven and earth. We've talked about this and we teach this here at PAG that Jesus' kingdom is heaven and earth and they're not separate things. And my body is not separated from my soul and this earth is not separated from heaven. I don't leave this earth and go to heaven for eternity. In the resurrection, heaven and earth come together under Jesus' authority. My flesh lives forever in the resurrection. And we see that Jesus, while he's walking on this earth and talking with people and healing physical diseases, he is doing work that is both physical and spiritual. Let's look at verses 23 through 27. This is after they question his sanity and whether he's evil. Jesus calls them over and responds with an illustration. How can Satan cast out Satan? A kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. Similarly, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is divided and fights against himself, how can he stand? He would never survive. 
Let me illustrate this further. Who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger. Someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. This passage is used a lot to talk about and teach on church unity. And you've heard a lot. How can a kingdom divided stand? How can a family divided stand? Um, and while there are many, many verses in the New Testament and the Old Testament that can encourage us towards unity, let's not use this passage. This is Jesus talking about evil spiritual forces. And let's not let Satan be our example. If you want to walk through church unity and what that looks like, Ephesians chapter 4 and us humbly lifting each other up, Philippians chapter 2 and putting on the humble nature of Christ. These are two great chapters to teach about church unity. But let's not use Jesus' illustration of Satan to define his church. Like when we say, Satan never takes a day off and neither do I. I don't know why Satan is your model. We should take a day off. Satan is not our model. So in this passage, Jesus is teaching us about spiritual forces working in this world. As the writer Paul talks about in Ephesians, we are not battling with flesh and blood. We are not battling with one another. We are battling with spiritual forces and an evil spiritual presence in Satan that wants to move God's orderly love into chaos. Jesus responds to their criticism of him being demon-possessed by sharing this little mini parable. Satan cannot win if he's casting out himself. Demons cannot have authority over other demons. He's saying Satan doesn't want to do that and Satan can't do that. Jesus uses this to teach us again about his authority and how he uses his authority as loving kindness. Jesus says, I have authority not just over this world, which is what impresses you, I have authority over the spiritual world itself. I have authority over evil manifest itself. I have authority over death itself. And I will demonstrate it to you here in this world. And then he goes one step further. It's not just that I'm not possessed by a demon and it's not just that a kingdom divided won't stand. It's that I am stronger. I am the strong man that can defeat every force of evil that you cannot. Jesus is actually and actively destroying Satan's work in this world. He's doing it in the three years of ministry while he's here on earth. He does it ultimately by his work on the cross and he is doing it every day through making atonement for our sins now. And what's awesome is Jesus teaching here in Mark 3 is actually referencing back to activities he's already done in Mark 1. Mark chapter 1 verses 12 through 13 is the story of Jesus' battle with Satan in the wilderness. Jesus goes out into the wilderness and he has a literal sparring match, philosophical battle with Satan himself. Jesus sets up a temptation with Satan in the beginning of Mark. Jesus then battles Satan in the wilderness. Jesus defeats Satan in the wilderness. Contrast this with our own lives. I live in temptation with Satan in a chaotic world every single day. I battle with Satan in my own mind and in my own heart every moment of every day. I am defeated by Satan in every moment of every day on my own strength and my own mind and my own heart. I can't defeat him. This is what we learn through Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. The Israelites in Exodus battle their own sin and darkness and evil in their hearts for 40 years in the desert and they fail. We battle our evil forces in our hearts and our minds and we fail. And what Jesus teaches us is 
Where we fail, he succeeds. Jesus is the king who establishes his kingdom on the basis of his own obedience. Jesus is so obedient that he has victory. And we see this is what God wants in the beginning of the Old Testament is obedience of his children so they can live good, fruitful lives in his presence. And what Jesus in Mark is showing us is his obedience is what will defeat the forces of Satan. Ultimately, we see this in the end of this book with Jesus Christ's obedience to death on a cross. We see that obedience is the ultimate force of what defeats evil. We are called to obedience. Jesus is called to obedience. We are incapable of being completely obedient, even with the Holy Spirit present in our lives. Jesus is completely obedient. And when we place ourselves under his authority, he covers us with the victory of his obedience. Jesus defeats what we cannot defeat in order to give us victory we cannot achieve. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, the early Christian John, disciple of Jesus, writes, But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil, who has been sinning since the very beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus says, By casting out demons, I am showing you that I can do things only God can do. Not Satan, not demons, not any human can do this. Only I can do this. To show us that he is God and that in Jesus Christ, God wants us to be free of evil. In Jesus, God defeats the forces of evil forever. We have sins that we cannot overcome. Maybe that's your journey right now and it's frustrating. I want to stop doing this. I want to move on from pornography or I want to move on from my own addiction to spending. I want to move on from how I talk to others. I want to be more kind and I keep seeing myself being selfish, being indulgent, and I can't do it. Maybe it's a relational break for you and there's a relationship that is so broken that your heart desperately wants to heal it, but you can't figure it out. There's no way I can put this back together. Maybe it's an obstacle you cannot overcome or a guilt or a shame that you can't rid yourself of. My advice to you and what we see in the story of Mark is we can't overcome it, but Jesus can. Which means if you want freedom from it, if you want healing from it, if you want victory over it, simply come into the presence of Jesus and allow him to work in your life. And there are a lot of practical ways we do this. Meditate on these scriptures daily. Walk through Mark slowly and see the character of Jesus revealed in your life. Pray in silence, meditatively inviting Jesus to set you free. Talk about Jesus in your small group with other Christians. Walk together and allow each other to speak truth into your life and to reveal Jesus in their own journey. Confess ultimately your inability to control this aspect of your life or any aspect of your life. Confess of that and then repent and turn to Jesus who will give victory over your life. Maybe not today and maybe not tomorrow, maybe not even in your fleshly life, but in the resurrection and for eternity, you will see victory in Jesus. And I pray that you'll see it in this world. Lastly, let's talk about Jesus who defines who is forgiven and who is not. Let's tackle this controversial passage that ends out this story. 
Mark chapter 3, verses 28 through 30. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. All sin and blasphemy can be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. This is a sin with eternal consequences. He told them this because they were saying, he is possessed by an evil spirit. This passage, maybe more than any other, um, has been misunderstood, brings fear into people. What can't be forgiven? What is God incapable of forgiving? And how do I know if I've done that? And how do I know what that looks like? This is a question often a young follower of Jesus will ask me, a passionate follower of Jesus will say, how do I know, pastor, if I've committed a sin that Jesus can't forgive? And how, how do I repent of that? Can I repent of that? And oftentimes I'll say, if you are worried about this, you have not committed this. If you are worried about this, you are fine and you are in the will of Jesus and you're growing with fear and trembling. There was a large trend a few years ago on YouTube, literally a YouTube account for blaspheming the Holy Spirit where young people would record themselves saying, I blaspheme the Holy Spirit or I curse the Holy Spirit. And to me, it really felt kind of like an episode of The Office where Michael wants to declare bankruptcy and he walks out into the office and he says, I declare bankruptcy. And his accountants tell him just saying the words is not going to do anything. That, that's literally nothing. Recording yourself on YouTube saying things out of your own hurt and pain is not going to do anything to condemn yourself or push yourself outside of the reach of the loving forgiveness of Jesus. Reading this passage in context, Jesus speaks these words in response to people who are calling his authority, his goodness, his love, and his grace, they're calling it insanity, and even worse, they're calling it evil. Calling the healing of the sick, calling the freedom of the oppressed, calling the good news for the vulnerable evil, and regularly working to oppose God's goodness in this world. Isaiah 50 verse 20 says, What sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil. And Mark 3 verse 5, earlier in this chapter, Jesus says, or Mark describes Jesus, he looks around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Famously, we see the Old Testament example of this is in Pharaoh. And the scriptures say about him, that God allowed his heart to become hard out of Pharaoh's opposition to the work of God and the character of God. These words in verse 29 will never be forgiven. There is eternal sin have caused such great anxiety and pain in the history of the church. Many have wondered whether they've committed the unpardonable sin. But surely what Jesus is speaking to here is not an isolated incident of one decision or one moment, but a pattern of rejection of the goodness of God. And Jesus, most likely, and most scholars agree, is not speaking of one moment where you said the wrong thing or one action where you did the wrong thing, but is speaking of a person whose regular character rejects the goodness of God and regularly sees his goodness and is exposed to God's character and rejects it outright out of their own pride and their own evil and their own desire for control and oppression. It's not one moment where it's lost, but it's Jesus saying, if your whole life, you're rejecting the goodness of what I am, you're rejecting the character of who I am, my love and my freedom, then you will go to your grave unable to recognize the forgiveness and grace that I've extended to you. 
If you're mad at God, or more likely you're mad at his church, and you want to record a video where you're just trying to be hurtful yourself, you cannot move yourself outside the reach of Jesus' love and grace. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you're afraid that you're not good enough and you're going to make a mistake, let me speak to you. What Jesus would say to you is, if you are worried at all about who I am and how I feel, you are in my loving embrace. And understand that my authority is given to you as a gift. And I give it freely and you can't push it away. When we talk about the eternal sin, most likely what Jesus is speaking about is a patterned life of rejecting the goodness and mercy of who he is. Not a moment of mistake or anger. And so if you're in God's will and if you're asking this question and if you're watching this video, I can assure you, you are well within the realm of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. As we close out this part of Mark, as we close out the introduction to who Jesus is, we see in Mark 3 that the authority of Jesus challenges our own control. We see that Jesus' kingdom is both heaven and earth, and Jesus has authority over spiritual forces that we cannot overcome in our own life. But Jesus says the gates of hell will not overcome my power to redeem this world and save my people because Jesus is who decides who is forgiven and who is not. And Jesus is a loving, merciful king with authority to redeem, heal, and set free all of his people. I wanna give you an opportunity today. If you're watching this and you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus and you don't have a relationship with him, I wanna give you an opportunity just to start that, to take one step forward in this journey, to say to Jesus, I, maybe I haven't had all this figured out, and I've maybe felt my ability to try and control and fail. And I want to turn to you for freedom, for healing, and for forgiveness. If that's you, I'll just offer you this prayer with me today. If you're a follower of Jesus, recommit this into your life in this moment. Jesus, today in this moment, we submit into your authority. We submit into your goodness, your grace, and your love, Jesus. I believe that you lived on this earth. You were God and man together in flesh. You were and are the king of heaven and earth. And as king, you laid your life down for me. You conquered the evil forces of this world and Satan himself through your death on the cross and your resurrection into eternal glory. You gave your life for me. Today, Jesus, I want to take one step of committing my life to follow you. Will you forgive me? Will you lead me in your kingdom? I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I thank you for joining me for this teaching from Pennington AG Church Online.